0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 62 of the Chirps podcast from Birds on the Black. I am Alex Crissifoli. Tara Wellman is not with us today. She is out on assignment, as she is wont to do, but I am joined by Birds on the Black writer Ben Cerruti. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Alex? I'm I'm doing uh, I'm doing very well. I'll tell you who's not doing great. Your Mizzou Tigers. Are you are you paying attention to this?
1: Oh uh, no, I've uh, decided to uh, watch the Blues tonight rather than the Mizzou Tigers because uh, that that's just getting ugly this year.
0: That's a safer bet. Uh,
1: yes, yes. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> I think the other times you've been on as a guest, at some point we have noted that you are a Mizzou fan and I'm an Illini fan, so I thought I'd just get it out of the way early. Yeah, uh, I,
1: I think the uh, best thing that happened to Mizzou this year was beating the Illini, and I think <laughs> other than that, we've done uh, absolutely nothing.
0: <laughs> it's uh, a mere image of two seasons ago when Illinois beat Mizzou and Mizzou went to the tournament. Illinois was terrible, only I guess in reverse. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. uh Conzo Martin, um his seat might get pretty hot after this, which is a shame 'cause I've I've always liked him. He's a good uh East St. Louis, Illinois guy. He was on uh some great high school basketball teams back in the day. Uh yeah. Ellis was a few years ahead of him, but that was those were some awesome teams. But uh yeah, his, his seat might be getting a little hot.
1: Yeah, I, I hope they stick it out with him for another year or two and give him that chance to at least get it a couple recruiting classes minus the porters who left early and were injured you know well, get I, get a, get a few recruiting, recruiting classes to the upper classmen stages and see if they actually pan out or not
0: i think his buyout is pretty large if he were to be fired after this year so i, I think he will be there for at least uh, another year but um if you've ever listened to this podcast before you, you're probably aware that this is not a Mizzou Tigers podcast. Uh, thank God I would <laughs> not be a host if it was. Um, it is a St. Louis Cardinals podcast. And uh, that's why we're having Ben on because Ben knows a lot about the Cardinals. I love talking um, the Cardinals with Ben. He also, in addition to birds on the black has a Facebook page, uh, excuse me, Facebook page called Flyover country that everyone should like and read. It's uh, I, I read it every time you post something, and I highly recommend it. But, Ben, I just got done watching Birds of a Different Game on MLB Network. Oh. It was their – yeah, it was kind of like their documentary about the 80s Cardinals. I My first reaction is I was kind of disappointed. I mean, they, they tried to squeeze in a lot of material into about
1: 40 minutes of oh, okay. airtime. Uh, yeah, I, I knew we were it. in trouble. I have it DVR'd, but I have not gotten to watch it yet.
0: You have to see what you think. I knew we were in trouble when they finished with the 1982 World Series, and there was only about 15 minutes left. Oh, <laughs> um, oh yeah. So they had to really kind of fly through 85 and 87. And and those two seasons are just I mean, they're almost make me sad uh, because I feel like in both instances, they should have, they were better than the team they played in the World Series. And and that's a shame. 85, especially with what went down. But you said you haven't seen it. Um, I'm a little bit older than you. So I I have, I guess, uh, some more, I have more memories, I guess, of the 80s Cardinals. And I was certainly raised on the 80s Cardinals, at least the back end of it. What is your take on? on those teams. And, and before you get to that, I also want to note that even though I was kind of disappointed in it, in the, uh, MLB, uh, documentary that they just had or series, whatever you want to call it. I also note that it, I am not the primary audience. You know, I, I, I know all this stuff already because I've been reading about these teams for years, you know, right, right, right. people who aren't as familiar with the eighties Cardinals would probably get a lot out of it. Fair but, enough. Yeah. Speaking of that though, what, what, as someone who, I, I guess, when did you first become a huge Cardinals fan?
1: I mean, it was, I, I don't remember the 85 series at all. Yeah. The 87 series, I can remember a little bit of. I was okay, seven, yeah. seven and a half years old at the time. So, okay, you know, I, I'm i not that much further behind you. I'm 19, I thought I had like several years on you. I, no, okay. 1980. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'm born in '79. I'm, I'm talking to you like like I'm ten years older than you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's because most of the people on our website are. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: that, that is true.
1: No, so '87 is about when I first started getting into it. I remember, yeah. uh, I remember Van Slyke more as a pirate than I do a cardinal type of thing. You know, Bernanski, uh, I kind of remember him twins first and then he kind of came over at the very end of the decade if I remember correctly mm-hmm. Yeah, he um, did. but I mean I, re- I remember just hearing things just you know my dad being such a huge Cardinals fan and he you know grew up there and just living in St. Louis at the time just I mean the Cardinals were all over the place it was always on the TV with how good they are and You know, especially in our household, my dad being a baseball player growing up, and he actually pitched batting practice for the Cardinals in the 70s one year.
0: No, no when was
1: that? Yeah, I think it was early 70s one year. Um, So, I mean, we always had baseball on. So I got indoctrinated pretty young, but I I don't really remember those teams nearly as well as like those mid to late 90s teams that when they started turning it around again after – between the Herzog and the Russi years, it got a little dim and dull, but those are the teams that I really remember more of those, uh, pretty bad teams in the early nineties. And then, and then when we started getting better again, sure. I, I
0: love the whitey ball teams and I also understand why people who, who maybe weren't around, um, to, to see some of those teams get sick of hearing people like me talk about whitey ball, uh, what, what I will say, though, is what was so exciting about those teams is not the, is not the fact that they were the greatest teams ever, because they weren't. I mean, I they, mean they had a great decade, obviously, in the 80s, but it wasn't nearly as successful as the Cardinals were in the aughts or even this past decade, I, I would argue. Um, right. But what made those teams special is that even in a, a down year, you could watch them and be entertained they just played a very entertaining style of baseball and, and with all the running and the defense and whatnot. So you always felt like you, there was potential for a great show. Uh, and that is important when you might not be watching a team that's very good. <laughs> like, right, like I right. guess the, uh, 80, the, the 88 season comes to mind. Uh, under 500, it was disappointing after such a great 87 year. But you could still watch them because you never knew – if Ozzy Smith was going to turn a great play, or
1: right, know, or, Willie, Willie McGee, Vince Coleman stealing a bunch of bases, stuff like that. Exactly, yeah, and even in the early nineties, at times you got Willie McGee hitting—I don't even know—hitting three twenty or so one year, stealing a bunch uh, of bases, and he, all he that. batted
0: he batted three thirty-five in nineteen ninety and got traded. That was the yeah. Felix Jose trade. Gets yeah, traded so well, so well. Uh, near the deadline, or maybe at the deadline, actually to the A's, and his 335 batting average stayed frozen in time because he had enough plate appearances to qualify for the batting title in the National League, and he ended up winning the uh, the batting title, even yeah. though he was play- playing for the A's. Which I loved because when he got traded, I think he was third, so so his oh, his mark funny. just <laughs> yeah his mark just sort of stayed there, and I think like Dykstra and maybe Eddie Murray or. I don't know if I had that right. Definitely Dykstra was up there and, and those guys kind of slipped behind him. And so he won the batting title, but yeah, I, I would definitely recommend watching it and I, not just to you, but a- anyone who's listening, it's certainly worth watching. I, I think I had too high of expectations of what I wanted to see. And, uh, for all the years they covered, it probably should have been two hours long, but yeah, it's it's probably it's still very much worth watching and, and John Hamm is in and he's he's very enjoyable.
1: Oh good. He's like super fan <laughs> STL lately it seems like.
0: Yeah, yeah, and speaking of I guess beloved teams, we were talking about this earlier but Mark Saxon had an article that went up earlier today at the Athletic. Yes. Basically talking about the uh, Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina battery and I believe he went back to 1908. And they have started 265 starts together, and that ranks seventh uh, for all-time batteries going back to 1908. And, yes. you know, I, I don't want to jinx this because obviously Wainwright is what in his age 38 season. But if you look at the list, they have a chance if if Waino can make – 17 or 18 starts and also
1: it's 19 starts
0: 19 starts okay and if yadi can stay healthy which you know being a catcher uh especially at yadi's age it's it's not easy to uh play more than 120 games a season uh right but but if they can get 19 starts together they will what they'll jump up to number fourth overall fourth overall they'll jump uh drysdale and rosebarrow uh-huh. Yeah,
1: they'll ju- they'll jump. Roughing and Dickey and Rogers and Carter as well.
0: That's pretty remarkable. Uh, I saw a I saw a tweet from I think Andy Beard. Uh, I don't know if you know who he is, but he mentioned that you know people have been talking a lot about the friendship between with uh, Nolan Gorman and uh, Libertor that I guess dates back to when they were five years old. Okay, and he noted that. Wainwright and Yachty their relationship goes back even before that (laughs) because um, those guys were five years old and I don't want to make you feel old because it certainly makes me feel old but those guys were five years old in 2005 and I I think Yachty and Wainwright became teammates or cross paths in some way or another for the first time in 2004
1: (laughs) that's pretty that's pretty I mean they were both I'm trying to think. No, I guess Wainwright came up. Did he come up at the end of 05?
0: He, yes, he pitched in 05, I want to say. But he pitched in Matheny. I, I think his, well, at least his okay. first. Yeah,
1: he threw two innings in 05. So they were on the same team in 05.
0: Yeah, and, and I believe his first outing, when you say he threw two innings in 05, were those two different outings or that was that the yeah. same outing? I think know?
1: it said two, I think it was two games.
0: Okay, so I I know yeah. his first outing he pitched a Matheny. and I think his okay. second one he actually did throw to Yachty. Okay. So, that could yeah. be so so it dates all the way back then, which predates the uh the Nolan Gorman, Matt Libertor uh friendship <laughs> that that we've been hearing a lot ever since the, we traded for Matt Libertor. Now, do you have a f besides the Wainwright Beltran strikeout, do you have a favorite? Melina Wainwright moment.
1: Uh not really. I, just, spot, I mean, yeah? just just watching them in general is I mean it's just kind of fascinating to me, just the, the connection they have. Um I was actually looking back because I was trying to find it on MLB.com, but Joe Treza had an article back in October about their connection and, and I thought it was really cool. Like of course there were quotes by Yachty and quotes by by uh Waino, but there were also quotes in it and I just found it from Maddox and um from Tony Cruz. Um and actually it's a quote from Wainwright about Tony Cruz I guess where it says, uh, Tony Cruz told me one time, hey, I'm catching you today, but I don't really know the language that's not spoken that you and Yachty speak <laughs> together. When you're moving your head one way or another and he's moving his hands one way or another and that just means a pitch. I don't know how that works. Can you tell me how to get that? <laughs> and Yacht, and uh, Wainwright apparently just responded, yeah, 10 years of catching me will get you that.
0: <laughs> I mentioned something to Tara a couple of weeks ago that, that sort of communication might be more important than ever in light of uh, all the sign-stealing
1: oh, and everything, Good everything,
0: that's, yeah, everything that's going on with the Astros uh, or, or whatnot. But Saxon also had a few more interesting facts in his column. I'm just going to read you a quick paragraph uh, that was toward the end. Wainwright and Molina will tie Stan Musial and Red Changes this season with their 14th season in uniform together. If they play together again in 2021, they would join the rarefied era of Hall of Famers such as Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera or John Smoltz and Tom Glavin as teammates who spent at least 15 seasons together. So that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's um, really awesome. I, I don't know if they are going to go out together, meaning if, if they're both going to retire the same year, mm-hmm. but it sure would seem appropriate. A- and it would, you know... We always try to write our own endings for players instead of giving them their own, uh, you know, letting them choose how they want to go out. But I, I sure do like to envision a scene in my head where they both walk off the field together, like, like the manager walks out. Schilt walks out in like this seventh or eighth inning and takes pulls them, them both. both. <laughs> yeah, pulls, pulls them both out of the game. I think that would be a really awesome moment.
1: Well, hopefully, it's with about a five-one lead in Game Seven of the World Series. Uh, that would be a remarkable moment, especially <laughs> you
0: know. I also just said you know it's hopefully with Wainwright you know going seven or eight innings, and that's uh, if we if we have many starts like that left in Wainwright, then you know we certainly are playing with house money there. True story. Speaking of that, you know we've been talking a ton this off season about the outfield and whether or not this team is going to have an offense that's going to be able to compete next year in light of losing Marcelo Zuna. You know, we lost Jose Martinez. Obviously these aren't perfect hitters by any stretch, but they were productive um, at least when, comparatively speaking to the rest of the lineup. We haven't been talking as much about the pitching, but I think there could be a lot of reason for concern there as well, or at least, uncertainty. Uh, and I felt that way last year too when the pitching turned out to be pretty good. But do you see Carlos Martinez being in the starting rotation? And if so who we who are we throwing in at closer because we're not getting Hicks back till July. Um, right. And you know closer is not the most if closer is just an inning and it's usually a good closer ends up throwing about 60 to 65 innings. So we're not talking about, you know, the most in, in spite of the title, I don't think being closer is the most important job or as important as sometimes we elevate it to be. Right. But it's still, it, it's still a spot that you want to have a reliable guy back there. Uh, so one, do yeah. you see Carlos in the rotation? And two, if so, who's it, who, who is going to be closing games for these guys?
1: I mean, I think if I think we can agree that it's basically down to six guys for five spots in the rotation, yes. Yeah, uh, Flaherty, uh, Hudson, Wainwright, Michaelis, and then Kim and Martinez. That I think if all six of those pitchers pitch up to their potential and can stay healthy, I would be willing to wager that Martinez is probably one of your two or three best starters. And if that's the case, you have to have them throwing 180 innings rather than 60 to 65. Right. So going on those assumptions, which, I mean, is obviously rosy best-case scenario, I think the person I see in the closer role is probably a Giovanni Gallegos. Mm -hmm. uh, Unless Mike Schilt really wants to keep more of a fireman set up with him that and, you know, kind of eschewing the traditional closer role and going with your best reliever in the spot you need him the most. But I, I think he's your best bet left. Uh, I know Zips agrees with me. It's got him with the best ERA in the bullpen. For the Cardinals, it's got him with the best FIP on the team in general, even lower than Flaherty's. So, I mean, I would kind of wager they'd go that direction if they want their best pitcher in that role.
0: Me too. I also think we're going to see when Pocota comes out in the next month or so that someone like Ponce de Leon might be penciled in for more starts than Carlos.
1: True, I, I, mean, I, I
0: really do. Yeah. I, I, I just, it just seems like such an unknown right now and I'm still so confused by the situation and to people who think Carlos is injury prone, I, I want to point out just from 2015 through 2017 he threw 170, he threw 180 innings, 195 innings, and then 205 innings. Uh, so he, if you want to call him injury prone, you also need to point out he had a three-year stretch of uh, of complete durability. So I've never bought in this idea that he's injury prone. I've never bought into the idea that he's a, he's a head case who can't handle the... Uh, you know, you know, being a starter, uh and in fact, you know, usually that sort of language is kind of insulting. And also, if you actually believe that, then the idea of putting in, him in a pressure cooker of of the closing spot to me would not be ideal for one, a pitcher of his caliber, and, and two, just if, if you actually believe that sort of nonsense, which I obviously do not.
1: Right. Um. To add to those three years you talked about, he also through July of 2018, when he got hurt on July 30th, he he had a hundred innings already after 18 games. So he had another 14 to 16 starts to go there with over 100 innings in already.
0: You're talking 2018.
1: Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He had thrown almost 120 innings.
0: Uh, when he when he left for the year. So yeah, and, and then he. Well, I guess that's not totally accurate because he came back, right, at the end of the Right, yeah, so he, he was right. out
1: for three weeks and then he came back as a reliever because they didn't feel like they'd get him back to starting in time. Which, to me,
0: always circles back to the idea, and I hate beating this dead horse, but I still have not quite fully understood it, so I like talking about it with someone to see if maybe they can, I don't know, offer insight that's going to kind of make the... Uh, light bulb, I guess, go on for me. But I'll never understand why they transitioned him to a relief pitcher, even with that reasoning of, well, they weren't sure he was, you know, ready to handle the workload as a starter. You know, you certainly hear people say that being a relief pitcher can be more grueling on the body than being a starting pitcher, just when it comes to getting warmed up and, you know, pitching on back-to-back days. So I'll never Mm -hmm. understand that. If, If you're able to... Offer insight into it right now, um, because I think you are smarter about this stuff than I am. I would love to hear it.
1: Yeah, and i I don't know either on that one. And I, I think I'd have to look back and see. Like, I'm wondering if because he was out from July 31st through August 20th and pitched again on August 21st. I'm wondering if the Cardinals had a really good stretch of three weeks by their starters and just wanted to roll with the five they had and and said, well, we can we can either wait a month to get them back and see if we're still in it with a week left to go, or we can just add them to the bullpen. I mean, maybe that was it. I don't I wanna say I mean, August, they were on a roll. That was Schilt's mm-hmm. first full month. They were right. They were really cooking that month. So I'm wondering if if it was simply a, let's stick with what we've got, throw them in the bullpen because we want to make sure to get these wins now while we can type of thing. Um, but I, I I will never understand why they didn't let him start last year.
0: It's all I same. I know,
1: I know he, right. came to, he came to camp injured last year, not fully recovered last year, but Especially when you've got that much of the season to go, I don't understand why you wouldn't. Even if it's throwing him, you know, three innings the first time he goes out there for the year, and having a thirteenth pitcher on hand to be a piggyback for the first three or four starts of the year until he's able to throw five and a half six innings a start the rest of the year, I I, I won't. I don't think I'll ever understand that. Yeah, I uh, I don't think I. Never will either.
0: Uh, I'll just say I would prefer him throwing 175 innings versus, uh, 65. Uh, but you know, we will see how, I guess we'll see how that shakes out the rest of the man. It's a, I don't know if you've been looking at some of the projections for the standings, um, especially in light of some of the Reds moves recently, but it's Mm -hmm. really, uh, bunched up at the top there and then of course you have the Pirates um, you know who aren't expected to be in the conversation but
1: yeah and I know I saw Brian Walton tweet out something earlier this week I think it was the 23rd 24th something like that about newest MLB over under win totals for NL Central teams in 2020 I don't know from like bet online or so I don't know but Uh Uh, I know it had the Cardinals at 88 and a half, the Cubs at 86 and a half, and then the Brewers and Reds at 83 and a half, both. But okay. that was prior to them signing Castellanos. Uh, and I guess it must have been prior to the Marte trade, too, because it has the Bucks at 71 and a half. So <laughs> I, I don't see, if they don't lose 100, I don't know who's going to this year.
0: Yeah, the Pirates are, I, I think, the best example going right now of an organization that really just flips off their fans. Uh, he, you know, they have this beautiful ballpark. They have shown – the fans will absolutely show up if you give them something to show up for. I, I mean, they're the – we've seen the environment at some of their playoff games, some of those wild card games. But yes, I, I wish – I wish I knew we were going to uh, delve off into this direction because I would have pulled up some of those numbers about like the pirates and their biggest free agency signings um, because it's, it's laughable. They haven't ever really paid anyone.
1: Um,
0: I'm trying to remember what the stat is, but it, but it's absolutely shocking.
1: Didn't they even like when we were signing holiday, they let Bay go.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that I think that is correct. Uh,
1: and then we kind of diverged from there, right?
0: Yeah they they have never really signed anyone, and I don't know if it's a case with them if they were if they're just like, look, we know we can put barely a competitive product on the field and make a lot of money, and still make a lot of money if it's a case of, you know we have so much cover with the Steelers. The Steelers take so much heat off us because that's all people talk about in this town. Um, I know I know for a fact that's not true. I know, uh, you know, DC's close enough to Pittsburgh to where there are plenty of Pirates fans, Steelers fans, and they complain all the time about the Pirates. Like, I, they're pretty much fed up with them.
1: Uh, yeah, I would be. I mean, yeah,
0: absolutely. And yeah. if you look at what they, you know, the core they had a few years ago with, uh mccutcheon and yeah, mccutcheon
1: um, Marte, polanco
0: yeah and garrett cole uh Archer, Neil Walker. Yeah. certainly who's the gosh who has the quote of you always want to trade a guy a year too early versus a year too late um and that's certainly the case but if you look at what the return they've gotten on some of those trades mm-hmm. especially with guys you know No one was confusing Garrett Cole with being, um, with that being a trade of. You traded him a year too early. Um, No, you traded him about eight years too early. You know he had he had a whole career ahead of him. Yeah. So I don't know, but the uh, those other numbers you said, you said Cardinals eighty eight and a half.
1: Yes. Cubs eighty six and a half, and then the others eighty three and a half. So that's down to the final week again, if that occurs.
0: Yeah, I still think people are sleeping on the Cubs. Uh, I I think they still have a strong core. I think they, even though I'm not expecting Ross to be a great manager, I think they were playing with a very lame duck manager last year, and I do think perhaps he could be an infusion of new energy. Um, So we'll see. I'm just not quite ready to give up on this Cubs team just yet.
1: Yeah, of course. The I mean the you you I agree with all that, but you also got to think that you know Lester. If we're worried about the Cardinals hitters because of their age, and it seems like much of Cardinals Twitter is and much of Cardinal fandom is mm-hmm. that Lester's going to be thirty six and just had a four and a half ERA. Dargis right. is going to be thirty three, just had a four ERA and a worse fifth than that. Uh, Hendricks is just now turning thirty. Quintana just turned to the wrong side of thirty. Kimbrell's on the wrong side of thirty. Sechex on the wrong side of thirty. Kinsler's almost thirty-five. I don't think they re-signed Strope uh, or Hamill.
0: Still, still up in the air. They didn't. They didn't re-sign Hamills, but Strope is still up in the air. If I recall, okay, Strope will be thirty-five not, It Doesn't sound so. like they're going to sign him.
1: So I mean, they're they're, they're pitching, which. I mean, really, of all the talk about their batting order, their pitching is kind of what carried them in 2016, much like the Cardinals in 2015, that their pitching is getting older and getting seemingly worse, except for maybe Kyle Hendricks. Um, Right. So we'll see, I guess. Well,
0: the reality of the situation is two years ago, I predicted the Cubs to sign Bryce Harper and – I guess that was a year ago. No, a year ago, I predicted the Cubs to sign Bryce Harper. And then a a couple weeks later, I predicted them to win the NL Central. Um, So I'm just going to keep predicting good things for them because it it, it seems to be working um, in in my favor so far. So I'm going to go ahead and, again, say that I don't think the Cubs are done yet. I still think they have a good core, and I still think they'll be a team to reckon with. In 2020, and I would probably take the over on that 86 and a half, but we'll see. All
1: right. Well, in the spirit of uh, jinxing the Cubs, I'll agree with you.
0: (laughs) Speaking of, uh, I guess, just predictions or projections, whatever you want to call it, we were also talking about, uh, I I think this came up because we were talking about the 80s Cardinals and we were talking about stolen bases and... Who on Who on this team could steal twenty bases, uh, or who could steal more bases between Wong and Bader?
1: Oh yeah, because, didn't, uh, they said something at winter warm up about Wong challenged Bader to that, right? Yeah,
0: and, and I like that. I I I like the idea of putting that in Harrison Bader's head because for him to challenge Colton Wong. In stolen bases. The first thing he has to do is get on base, and, and and that was his problem last year. So if he's if he's very focused on stealing bases, then uh, step one will be getting on base in the first place. So maybe he he realizes that you know that'll be the first thing he'll he'll take care of, and then he can figure out if he can steal as many bases as Colton
1: Wong. How many bases did Colton Wong steal last year? Like twenty. 23? Um, is that right? Let us see. I want to say it was 24, but I've got it right here. Uh, yeah, 24 steals, four caught.
0: Okay. Um, and and, and that's, that's what was so great about the Cardinals team last year is not so much that they were stealing bases. Um, although, comparatively speaking to the rest of the league, they did steal a lot of bases, but that they were good at it, um, that they were smart with it that they were uh, i can't remember who pointed this out but they showed that the cardinals were running in bunches uh, meaning that the cardinals knew when to steal bases and they knew when not to they knew when they had a pitcher on the mound that they could steal on that they could run on and that's when they were stealing all their bases um they would go several games without stealing any bases and then they would have two or three games, then they would have a game where they would steal four. You know, we saw that last year. And and they had, they stole, what, close to an 80% clip, if I recall. I might be um, a little high on that. But it does show that, you know, they weren't just a, a good base running team, which they were. They were a very smart base running
1: team. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I'm going to have to pause here, Alex. I'm sorry. Uh, no my problem. Son, my son's crying. Hold on.
0: Oh, no. Hey, so I don't know if you all could hear that, but we lost Ben because he had to go play dad. He had a uh, crying son who I believe woke up, and uh, being the the good parent that he is, Ben had to bail on the podcast uh, because more important things were uh, calling him. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up with the trip of the week, although I think Ben might be back with us. Ben, is that you? Yeah, I'm back. Is he Is he back asleep, Ben? Did you...
1: I think he's asleep now. He's, <laughs> okay. He let me leave the room. So <laughs> Okay.
0: Well, good work. <laughs> uh, you uh, you shared with me earlier today a tweet from MLB Network, I think in preparation for the uh, Cardinals movie tonight. And it said, uh, even the pitchers were stealing bases and it showed a graphic for the 1985 Cardinals. Uh, and and they're stolen base rate. You had Vince Coleman who stole 110 bases, uh, and he did a he had an 82 percent success rate. Willie McGee 56 stolen bases, 78 percent. Andy Van Slyke 34 stolen bases, 85 percent. Tommy Hurst stole 31 bases, and he was successful 91 percent of the time. Ozzy stole 31 bases, he was successful 80 percent of the time, and then Walking Andujar stole three bases. Uh, and he was successful 75% of the time. So he was three for four. And it made me wonder, uh, one, just how often um, pitchers actually did steal bases um, or do steal bases and whether or not that was actually impressive. And it turns out it actually is. Uh, I got on the Baseball References Play Index and I, I went back to 1947. Uh, you don't want to go too, too much. Uh, you don't want to go back too much further than that because you know it's not really it's hard to even compare that era and uh you know who knows what how people are stealing bases in the 1920s but if you go back to 1947 and i i just looked at pitchers and i sorted by pitchers who had at least three stolen bases in a season okay. um, believe it or not there's only eight of them there's only cool. eight such seasons and three of them were by St. Louis Cardinals. One, uh, the record is only five. Uh, and it's by Bob Gibson, who did it in 1969, uh, which was also the year he had one of his greatest uh, pitching years. We talked about 1968, but he was also brilliant in 1969. And also last year, Michael Lorenzen for the Reds uh, stole five bases. Uh, but also, <laughs> Bob Gibson stole three bases in 1966. and. Also, walking on to our th- stole three bases in 1985, as we already mentioned. So three of the eight seasons since 1947 in which a pitcher stole at least three bases, um, three of those belonged to the Cardinals. So, yeah, you That's could. You know, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I guess you could say that graphic up there is true, that the Cardinals uh, pitchers were, in fact, stealing bases at a heavier clip than a competition. I guess you could say that. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, for, career, for careers going back to 1947, I looked at pitchers who stole at least 10 for their career, which is not a huge number, by the way. But no. pitchers who stole at least 10 bases. How many do you think there would be? If you could just guess off the top of your head. Oh, gosh.
1: Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say two or three. Two. Good guess. Yeah, okay. two.
0: The, the leader... The all-time leader, or I shouldn't say all-time, but the leader in stolen bases by pitchers going back to 1947, our own Bob Gibson with 13. Okay. Second, and the only other pitcher to steal at least 10 since then, is Greg Maddox with 11. Now, I I should point out, yeah, I should point out, Bob Gibson stole 13 bases, but he was also caught 10 times Okay. while Maddox stole 11, and he was only caught three times. So oh, wow. while we're not dealing with uh, enormous samples, we could probably say that Greg Maddox was uh, a more efficient base stealer. Than, yeah, 79% uh,
1: he, clip there.
0: Yeah, that actually surprises me. Greg Maddox doesn't strike me as someone who uh, stole would have been stealing a lot of bases, although I think I do underestimate, perhaps, perhaps I underestimate him as an athlete.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, he, he won a lot of gold he, gloves he, uh, when I think about it. I'm guessing probably more of his intelligence. I mean, Yadi's Yadi Yachty and Albert have seasons of 15 steals, and I think and yeah, I, I, I think that at you know two and a half months from 40 years old and out of shape, I might be as fast as those two sometimes. <laughs> so Yadi has, believe it or
0: not, 66 stolen bases for his career, and actually stole 12 in 2012. And now 66 is not a lot. But when you mess around on the play index enough, and you sort it down to like position players who spent at least ninety five percent of their time at catcher, you'll see that sixty six is actually pretty high. Yeah, uh, and you know sixty six is actually pretty high. Just if you look at how fast Yadier Molina runs, which we all know is uh,
1: <laughs> not very well. I mean, he was thirty six last year, and he had six steals and no caught. I did not realize he did not get caught once last year. Uh, that's
0: remarkable okay so for his career as i mentioned he has uh he has he's stolen 66 bases he's actually been caught 37 times which isn't great uh um not shocking but that but that's not great uh but yeah but he's getting better uh six for six last year that's pretty impressive
1: well since i brought albert into the conversation as well i just looked those up in the last four years from ages thirty six to thirty nine, Pools only has eleven of his one hundred fourteen career steals, but he has not been caught since the twenty fifteen season.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Oh, you're right. Okay, so yeah, I, I'm looking at it too I'm looking at it as well. The last four seasons <laughs> Pujols has stole, stolen 11 bases and hasn't been caught once.
1: <laughs> uh, actually, since turning 31, he's got 39 steals to only 7 caught stealing. In, I'm looking at his 2005 season. He stole 16 bases
0: and was only caught twice. So that's pretty impressive. You know, yeah.
1: well, I think that's got to go back to the Greg Maddox factor. Where I think it's just the raw intelligence and knowing when to take the base.
0: That is is 100% on the mark. You know, they always used to say Pujols wasn't a fast runner, but he was a very smart runner. And that sounds like one of those silly things that, like, an announcer would say just when they're talking about a great player like Albert Pujols. But it really was true. Yeah. He really was a great base runner. Um, and, and I'm not even thinking about slowing bases. I'm thinking about just when he would – he would always seem to know when to take third base. Yeah. Uh, coming over from first. And he just – yeah, he, he really was one, really is one of the smarter baseball players I have seen, and we were so lucky to watch him play.
1: All right, so so I just saw one thing on Twitter that I have to bring up since we yeah. since we started, since we started the show with uh, Mizzou basketball talk. They came back, didn't they? They did. They were down fifty nine thirty nine, and yeah. closed on a thirty three to ten run to win the game. Tom Crean, what are you doing? how does that happen
0: <laughs> so is mizzou going to make the tournament
1: not they're not right probably not i'm hoping i'm hoping they make the nit okay okay so but they've so that's been bad weird. enough lately that let's see oh yeah 10
0: and 10 um we'll yeah see. that's that's a tough uh they have a tough road to make the make the tourney but yeah you never know ben that's the type of uh I know Georgia is not exactly the king of the SEC when it comes to basketball, but that's the type of win that could perhaps provide some momentum going forward.
1: Yeah, yeah, that could be one that pulls the team together a little bit. Good for
0: good for them. I'm still going to boo Mark Smith and uh, Jeremiah Tillman uh, every chance I get, uh, and uh, to their uh, credit, they they've beaten my team the last two years in bragging rights, so they they are certainly getting the last last laugh there. Uh... Anything else? Anything else? Cardinals related?
1: Uh, no. And I, I apologize again. I don't know what I missed. No. for about five minutes there. <laughs> you, you missed me sitting
0: in silence. Um, and while I waited for you to come back, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. We perhaps cut this one short, but Hey, father duties are very important. And so, True
1: story.
0: yeah, there was no shame in bailing there. Uh, again, this, this has been episode 62 of chirps. We were joined by Ben Cerruti, uh, You can follow Ben at, Ben, what's your Twitter handle? It's
1: at stlfanbc7.
0: Okay. And Ben also writes at Birds on the Black pretty regularly. Hopefully, I'll actually write something soon um, in the next couple days or the couple weeks. You should also check out Ben's Facebook page, uh, Flyover Country. Uh, He puts up a lot of his projections there, which you also put up at Birds on
1: the Black. Uh, how How long have you been doing that blog? I think I've been officially posting them over, over at Flyover Country since at least like 2011 or 12, but I think, I think I've think i been doing them on my, you know, just spreadsheets on the computer since before then. It was mid to late 2000, the aughts, um, since I started doing it. But they've been tweaked a bit over the years, and I'm still trying to tweak them to make them a little bit better. So,
0: If you could just tell us one thing, and, and maybe you have even gotten this far with your projections yet this year. But if you could just tell us one thing that you think would surprise Cardinals fans going into 2020, um, perform- performance-wise.
1: So, actually, I'm just going to read the beginning of my Tyler O'Neill one because it's the oh, one yeah, I, just, I just wrote this up. But So, Tyler, uh, here's how it reads. Tyler O'Neill is one of my favorites to hope gets more playing time than he already has. Um, my projections have led me to like him far more than a seemingly large contingent of the fan base. I want to make clear that my personal feelings on O'Neill in the outfield are not able to be entered into my projections, even if I wanted them to be, which I don't, they're objective. But uh, the projections are what really got me to like O'Neill in the first place. Um, and then last year he finally got to start for an entire month uninterrupted in July and did really, really well. Um, and I've kind of looked, and, and there's a little bit more in the write-up about him, about kind of why I think that he'd be much better getting a start every day. But my projections, and this might be surprising to some over 600 plate appearances. uh, I have him beating out what my projections would say for Marcelo Zuna for 2020. Okay. So, so they really like O'Neal over 600 plate appearances they would have O'Neal, which I don't have him getting. And I know that's something you kind of wanted to talk about, but we didn't get a chance to have projected playing time for outfielders right now. I've got him set at like 400 plate appearances, but if I were to bump it up to 600, it would give him 94 runs, 36 homers and 96 RBI on the year. Oh, wow. Which I, I think everybody would take in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah, I absolutely would. Uh, what sort of strikeout rate are we looking at there?
1: Um, Not that I
0: would really ca- I wouldn't care if you put up those numbers. I'm just curious. Right, right, right.
1: Um, they, I've got O'Neill at a 31.5%. Ah, okay. I'm I, getting I, his walk rate up over eight.
0: I mean, that uh, 31.5%, like just thinking 15 years ago, that would seem just out of this world crazy, but... Yeah. You know, 2020, especially with those other numbers you mentioned and and talking about Tyler O'Neill, I would absolutely take that. I agree. Well, cool. Thank you for that. That's, uh, I I will keep my eye on that and uh, I'll try to remember to have you on at this time next year and I can tell you, uh, you know, wow, you were right on the money or, uh, how dare, <laughs> how dare you? Or
1: Why, why did O'Neill not make yeah. the making after how, April? Mm. How dare you get our hopes up? Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: anyway, th- thank you so much for coming on, Ben. It's always fun. Uh, when you yeah, jump thank on. You for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I am Alex, Chris, Afoley. you can follow me on Twitter, at alexcard 79. Tara should be back next week and that'll do it for us. Have a great week, everyone.